My name is Amanda Rummery, and my definition of relentless is that it goes hand in hand with positive, positivity. So I think of relentlessly positive, how I carry myself every single day, how you have a good attitude and what that means, and just going out there and working hard and chasing your dreams, and that's what being relentlessly positive means to me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. I'm Kyle Dubay, and I am very, very excited to have our guest on today. We have the University of Alberta's only para-athlete, a member of Team Canada uh, as a para-athlete. Amanda Rummery is joining us today to talk about her journey, uh, her life, what, what, what led her to being a para-athlete, and where she's going. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Kyle. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so this is exciting. I learned about you through RBC. Yes. Um, because you are one of their sponsored athletes. Correct. I'm part of the RBC Olympian program. Right. Yes. Which is very cool. Yes. Read your bio, your story, and I thought I have to have Amanda on this podcast to talk about being relentless um, because of your story, because of, of what's happened to you in your life, but because of what you're doing with the circumstances that, that you had in your life. So all that being said... Amanda, what what is it? What is a para athlete? Yes, so a para athlete is somebody that has a physical disability, and para athletes, a lot of them have goals of competing in the Paralympics, uh, which is right in line with the Olympics. It happens the exact same way, four year cycle. It happens right after the Olympics, and yeah, it's made up of individuals with a variety of disabilities. Uh, amputations, athletes that compete in wheelchairs, athletes with cerebral palsy, multiple sclerosis, visual impairments, short stature. Um, there's also one classification for intellectual impairments. So a wide array of athletes. All right. Now, what, uh, and we're, and we're going to get into to, to how this happened, but what makes you a para-athlete? Yes. So I am a para-athlete because I am a left arm amputee. So I am in the T46 category, it's called. So when I go to international competitions like world championships or Commonwealth Games or Pan American Games, I only verse females with an arm impairment. So I am considered the most disabled, you would say, because I am shoulder down. I have a shoulder down impairment and I compete against females who have limited shoulder range of motion or who are missing a hand or who are amputated below the elbow. So there's a lot of diversity within the class, within the T46 class, but at the same time, you can't separate us too much or else there isn't any competition and you want it to be a elite level of sport. So you need competition. And what, what, what is your sport? What do you do? Yes, I do track and field. So I'm a para athletics member and my primary event is the 400 meter. So for those of you that are familiar with track, if the outdoor track is 400 meters in length. So it's one lap, one lap, one full out sprint for 400 meters, but your body physically can't go all out for 400 meters, you hit really bad lactic. So it's a very challenging race in that sense because you need to just hold back a hair in the first little bit so that you can come home strong. And I think that's why I love it too is because when I cross the finish line, I am spent, I'm dead. I have hit such a lactic wall, I'm in so much pain, but it's so satisfying and I know that I've pushed my body to the absolute limit every time I've raced. Something I've never experienced. <laughs> uh, we talked earlier, my track and field experience was in elementary school when I did the ball throw. Yes. Not shot, shot put. Because they didn't have that for grade one to six. I did the ball throw. I was pretty successful in grade pretty five. Pretty successful, yeah. But I, you know what? I retired on a high. That's <laughs> yeah, what I did. You peaked. I, 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 Amanda, I peaked. So... Here's the thing about Amanda that we're going to find out is that Amanda was not born uh, with this disability. Amanda, um, I I don't know. Acquired. Acquired. 
and I want to be very sensitive to this because this is all new to me. Um, I have probably too many questions. You're probably going to think I'm an absolute moron, uh, like most people do whenever, whenever I'm asking people questions, but I'm just so interested in this story. So Amanda, tell us a little bit about, um, pre accident, pre amputation. What, where do you come from? What what was your life? like? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Kenora, Ontario, and then my family moved out here to Sherwood park, Alberta, and went all through school, kindergarten to grade 12 in uh, Sherwood Park. I graduated from Archbishop Jordan, um, a Catholic school in Sherwood Park. And whenever I reflect on my childhood, I just say it was very average. We were a middle-class family. I had one sister. Parents were together. I don't know. It was just so... It was normal. It was total Normal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, I was... I graduated in June of 2015, and I was ready to start university in September of 2015. And then it was one month after my high school graduation, one month before I was supposed to start university that I went through the accident. And then at that point, my life changed forever. And I was just put on this completely different trajectory. What was the accident, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, of course. So like I said, I was born in Kenora, Ontario. So I always go back there on summers because it's the most beautiful city, little town ever. And I was out there with a couple friends and we were ATVing on my Nan and Pa's fire road, they're called in Ontario. And it was just a gravel road. And I was driving and I had two friends on the back of the ATV and ATV, quad, four wheeler, yeah. all the yeah. same thing. And there was a corner that was also going down a hill and I was going way too fast. And I also had no experience on ATVs. So I don't think I ever at any point reached for the brake or let go of the accelerator. Like I just, you were just because I, I, I blacked out too. So I don't remember sure. all of the accident, but I just collided head on with a tree. And then my friends flew off the ATV. They were fine, but I flew forward, but I was gripping so hard onto the handlebar with my left arm that when my body flew off, my shoulder went one way while my neck went the other way. And I suffered a spinal cord injury and it's called brachial plexus injury. And what brachial plexus is, is it's the nerves that control all movement and sensation shoulder down. So we didn't know it at the time. And I I still remember clear as day waking up. My one friend had already ran to go get help. And then my friend Allie was there standing beside me. And I remember telling her that I broke my arm because I couldn't feel or move it. Right. And up until that point in my life, I had never even broken a bone. So I had no idea what I was in for or what to expect. And yeah, so the hospital in that town was really small. So my friends went in the two ambulances they had. I got airlifted to the first hospital and then I was in pretty critical condition. I had other injuries uh, in addition to the arm and the hotel, the, excuse me, the hospital wasn't equipped to take care of me. So then I got airlifted to Winnipeg where I spent about a week getting slightly, slightly better. But yeah, I just had other injuries. One of them was a concussion. I had never had a concussion oh, before. Gosh. And oh my goodness, that knocks you out like no tomorrow. Right. I Every time I sat up, I was projectile vomiting. I lost so much weight. I couldn't even look at food for like months. It was awful. And then after a little bit, returned home from Winnipeg, back to Sherwood Park, Edmonton. And then that's when I started going to the Glenrose Rehabilitation Hospital. And it was discovered there through nerve testing that I had completely severed all of the nerves off of my neck and I was going to need a series of surgeries, but that my arm was going to come back. I was told continuously by all my medical team, I just needed surgeries and they were going to work and I was going to have full so, arm back. So first of all, thank you for sharing that course, story. Yeah. Like that, that is a, a, a very traumatic, scary situation that you and your friends were in. Um, es- essentially what I'm hearing is you, you ripped your, 
like it's almost like you ripped your arm off yet it didn't come off correct yes yeah right and so now what they're telling you and you're 17 at the time or 18 i had the accident was a week before my 18th birthday so So now at this point i'm 18 so you're 18 years old prior to that everything fine this happens now you're in glenrose you're staying in glenrose or you're back at home or back back at home so back and forth yeah and but your arm is completely it's 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 dead dead. yeah right and so you you can't feel it you can't move it there's nothing about your arm that is functional in any way no i'm living 24 7 in a sling because when you don't have sensation it is a very scary thing when you injure your arm because um you just can't feel it and it plays mind games with you and i remember when i burnt my fingers on the inside of the glass on the oven and my mom felt smelt burning skin and yeah immediately another hospital trip because it's yeah sensation is so important and when you lose it it's scary so let's talk about that a little bit if you don't mind before we get into kind of the next steps that that you went through what was that like for you like even just emotionally and stuff like not having any use of being 18 years old going to go to university you're 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 starting your adulthood if you will yes and and now you have an arm that it, it must have been so scary it must have been it must have been um just the unknown of it all yes it, it was it was absolutely scary and there were hard days but at the same time my medical team just kept telling me my arm was going to come back they said within three months you're going to get your elbow back you're going to get your shoulder back and then within six months you'll get finger mobility back so throughout this process it was easy for me to just stay hopeful sure and to just keep telling myself that it was temporary that i temporarily couldn't use my arm um but it was my dominant arm of course so i was a lefty okay yeah so i i still remember getting home and I couldn't even eat cereal. When you try and eat cereal with your non-dominant arm, your hand, you shake so bad right. that by the time the spoon gets to your mouth, there's no, there's nothing there's, left there's on no the spoon. Left. There's no cereal. Uh, brushing my teeth felt weird. Dressing myself. Well, everything would have. Yeah. First of all, everything would have felt, everything would have felt different not having both arms, let alone your dominant arm. Yes. Yeah. Right. And it would be everything from, like you said, brushing teeth to, to, brushing your hair to yeah. getting dressed to everything it must have been such an adjustment for you yeah definitely a huge adjustment how did you how did you how long did that take to like even learn how to write again yeah so something a lot of things came quicker um eating brushing my teeth all of that i honestly like the body is super adaptable that was probably felt normal to me within a couple months mm. but writing writing was over a year writing was painfully slow yeah. for me i would even get headaches mm. from trying to concentrate so hard to make my writing legible yeah but yeah so and it was hard to being 18 and yeah you've just graduated high school you want all this independence and i'd also lost my license because you need to pass a new road test with an adapted vehicle because sure. now I drive with a spinner knob. Yeah. But then the waiting process for that was months and months. So I didn't have a license. I couldn't drive my car. Plus I, you had to actually adapt to that and practice doing yeah. that. Like that can't be an easy thing to just suddenly, no. oh, I've got this spinner knob. Let's go drive. Yeah. Glenrose does a series of appointments for practicing that. Um, and I also decided to still proceed with university a month after my accident, which was crazy and my GPA wasn't the greatest, but I decided to do online courses, which was great to have something to focus on through all of this, sure. to have a bit of an outlet to be able to do some schoolwork. But at the same time, online school, as a lot of people know now through COVID and having to do a lot of high school and elementary kids having to do online school, it's incredibly challenging because I just sat on the couch all day with a laptop on my lap and... Right did surface level learning. Like I wasn't actually learning what I was supposed to be. So online well, there, school there was, was probably a, There was a lack of connectivity with other yes, people yeah. and all that type of stuff, right? Yes. You're probably already feeling isolated because yes. of the accident, because of what's going on with your arm. Now you're doing all the schooling by yourself too. Yes. How was your family during all this? Like this must have been, I'm assuming, uh, now this is an assumption, I'm assuming that mom and dad are, you know, helping you the whole time. And like, like, this would have been very traumatic for them as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
So my mom, bless her soul, cries over everything. She cries at commercials. Yeah. So my mom would just cry all the time, which yeah. was definitely hard to see. Um, in a lot of ways, she took it harder than I did. Mm. And then my dad was like my rock. He was at every single doctor's appointment, every single nerve testing appointment, physio appointment, asking all the questions that I was too emotional in the moment to ask. Yeah. And he remembered everything the doctors were telling me. And then um, we would talk about it afterwards. And he was always right there beside me at all these doctor's appointments. And he was also very, very hopeful that my arm would come back as well. Sure. So that was also hard for me too, because everybody believed my arm would come back, um, which we'll get into more in depth later, but yeah. uh, it didn't. And to see my dad, his hope in me just slowly diminish was a little sad because when the accident first happened, he would ask me every day, almost every day, if I could move my arm again, if I could, if I could just flex my elbow a little bit, if I, if I could twitch any of my fingers. And then he slowly just stopped asking because oh, the man. arm wasn't coming back. You know, so, as, a, yeah. as, a, as a dad, as a parent, I, I, I don't understand what your parents have been through because I, I haven't been, been through what they've been through, but I do have an understanding of just you it's painful to watch your children go through something. And so it must have been so difficult for them. And your mom's emotional reaction, just as an emotional person in general, but then your dad just being the hopeful, optimistic, and then just losing that little, like, centimeter by centimeter. That must have been, I mean, on you, yeah. like, obviously, but it must have been very difficult for them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really interesting to me that um, that that your dad... I'm just picturing myself right now in this situation and being that guy going, oh, yeah, yeah, like, you know, can you move it? Can you move it? Can you move it? Just every day. Like, at some point, I'm assuming with you, you were almost feeling like you might have been letting him down. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Or like I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't – could I have been doing more physio exercises? Um, Could I have been doing more to help with it? Um, But I know I couldn't have. Right. In hindsight, of course. um, It was out of my control. That my and your dad wasn't, wasn't doing back. anything wrong. No, your no. dad was just trying to be Mister Optimistic and yes. really just trying to. Oh man! And then the other thing that he was really doing was that I a credit to the way I the reason I am the way I am is that he was also tough love. So mm. he was optimistic, but he balanced that with tough love, and that's exactly how he raised me because he's always held super high standards for me. He never went easy on me with grades or he always expected me to have a part-time job and to be financially supporting myself. And even after the accident, um, for the first few months, I wasn't working. And I distinctly remember grocery shopping with him and I needed toothpaste and I put it in the shopping cart and he threw it back at me and said, buy your own toothpaste. (laughs) And yeah, like he's, he's super tough love, but he he's kind of sink or swim with him and I've always swam. So it worked with me. I know that wouldn't work on every child, but him, him raising me with that mindset also prepared me to be adaptable and resilient come the accident. I think if I was coddled my whole life and given everything to me on a silver platter, come my accident being 18 years old, losing my arm, I wouldn't have been able to adapt as successfully as I did. Hmm. let's let's get into um your arm wasn't coming back yes when did you find that out what was that like and then ultimately the decision that you made and what was that process like yeah absolutely so i accident was july 2015 and then they through nerve testing found out my arm wasn't gonna come back on its own i was gonna need surgeries So they scheduled me for my first surgery in October of 2015, and it was crazy. It was 15 hours. They cut me open from the top of my neck to my hip, from my upper thigh to my knee, and they did a bunch of nerve and muscle transfers. And I woke up. They said the surgery was successful, and within a couple of months, I was going to get back my arm, slowly but surely, elbow, shoulder. um, They called it a bear crawl, so it was just being able to move all four fingers and I'm going to physio, I'm going to endless appointments. And then with 
uh, a year later, they find out that the surgery was unsuccessful. So they schedule me for another one. And it's the exact same thing. They cut me open again. They're, this time they use um, a nerve from my calf and uh, the gracilis muscle from my thigh. They do nerve and muscle transfers. I wake up. They tell me it was successful. And within a few months, my arm's going to come back. And it's the exact same thing. I was once again told that after a year that the surgery didn't work. So it was deja vu. So now you're, you're what, 20? I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm almost 20. I'm 19 and it (laughs) is now about two and a half years post-accident and I'm living every day in a sling. I am being asked by people in the community multiple times a day, what happened to my arm? I'm filling up my gas tank. I'm paying for groceries and I'm being stopped because people think that when you're in a sling, you've hurt your collarbone or your shoulder sure. blade and they're just making you conversation. But then I'm here explaining my whole story and I just could not move on from the accident. So I knew that when I found out my surgery was unsuccessful, it was a little bittersweet, but I knew without a doubt in my mind that I needed to amputate. And I just knew it like wholeheartedly that this was going to be the best outcome for me. And that in life, when there's so many things out of our control, I couldn't control what was going on with my arm. And in terms of it not moving and having no sensation or mobility, but I could decide whether or not I amputated and nobody wanted to, wanted me to absolutely nobody. My medical team, mom, dad, medical team, uh, my pa, who is my person, he, I'm super close to him. He told me I was giving up. He told me that I that, needed... That's your grandpa? Yeah, yeah, my dad's dad. And he... Because the surgeons had eight more surgeries lined up for me. They wanted to keep trying. They had so many different options that they wanted to Can we to back up do. a little bit? Yes. So they have... So you've done two of them. Mm-hmm. They have eight more planned. What's the recovery like for you after those surgeries when they're taking nerves and muscles and all that stuff and they're, they're, they're essentially displacing it in your body? Yes. What was that like? Because the other areas of your body had to recover as well. Yes. Yeah. You're covered in scars, um, covered in stitches, pardon me, stitches, which turn into scars. Um, I remember my leg, it got infected because I had a huge, um, I had multiple stitches behind my kneecap, so mm. that could never heal because you're yeah. constant, you're walking yeah. and you're reopening it. Um, also I just wasn't the healthiest version of myself going into these surgeries. So the recovery was that much longer and that much harder. I also couldn't move my arm after surgeries. So whether it was four weeks or eight weeks, but I would have to be in a sling 24-7, I'd have to get sponge baths. I would have to go to the hair salon for them to just wash my hair once a week. Because because they didn't want you moving it could your, not your move. left arm. Could, Correct. It had to be absolutely still, probably pressed right up. Yes. Tuck. Wow. Oh, my armpit, like oh. trying to wash under there. It, yeah. was, it was a mess. Yeah. yeah. Sleeping was super uncomfortable after surgeries. Yeah, I was tired of putting my self through that. I'm also in university. Right. So then trying to stay on top of courses. The right. surgeries just took so much out of me mentally and physically. I was and, over and it. And then like you said, you're walking around, you're getting gas, you're at a grocery store, you're doing this and everyone's going, hey, what happened? What happened? That to me is just, I just wish people wouldn't ask people questions. Yes. Like if, it, like if there's a takeaway for anyone listening. Yes. If you see somebody who's injured and you don't really know them or they're not in a, you know, a, a relationship with you that actually gives you that permission, don't ask people. No. That if question. you know me and I haven't brought it up, I, some of my teammates, they're like, can I ask what happened to your arm? I'm like, oh my goodness, you don't know. Of course you can. Like sure. we're, we see each other every day. I'd hope you know what happened to me. Sure. But yeah. But, I, if, but, if, but, if, but if I'm walking down the street and I see you even in a sling or you're at a grocery store and I'm there, I'm like, oh, what happened? Like, I just think that's. Bizarre. It's bizarre. But it happens to everybody. I know it does. Everybody who it's has called, the same injury as me, they say the exact same thing. It's a lack so. of, it's, it's illiteracy, social illiteracy. That's what I call it. But yeah. Anyways, okay. Now listen, <laughs> we are, now that we've judged all those people together, <laughs> we are, we are back here. You are making the decision. I, I want to amputate. Now at this point, Amanda, are you doing track and field yet? 
I had just started doing track and field. So I amputated August of 2018 and I had started track and field in September of 2017. So it's almost a year that I've almost been doing track. Almost a year. Now let's go back and we're going to get to the amputation in, in a bit because I have some questions about that. And I hope that you're going to be okay with them. I'm just so curious. What made you think, okay, my left arm doesn't work. I should try track and field because you had never done track and field before. No, not more than you had doing ball throw I, in elementary. Honestly, were, were that you was good my at the ball throw. Uh, I did get third okay. in one. I don't know grade, but I, I got. Third. I got first, but whatever. <laughs> we don't need to compare that. So, <laughs> what what made you think? Oh, let's let's start running. You know, it's such a good question, and I still don't know why I Google searched what sport opportunities were available to people with an arm impairment. Um, but I did, I just Googled it and I saw that track and field was an option. Swimming was an option. I don't swim very well. And those were the two options that came up. Whereas if you are an individual in a wheelchair, they have quite a few more sports that they can do. You know, wheelchair rugby, sled hockey, track and field, basketball, all that wheelchair stuff. basketball, yeah. Yeah, so I had limited options, but I was I thought, okay, I did track and field in junior high when it's mandatory in sure. June at the end of the school year. You have to do the triple jump in gym class. Yes, and yeah. then I was also just lucky that there was a para club at the University of Alberta, and I joined it, and I'm super thankful for that club because – since I had never done track and field, I would not have had the confidence to walk onto a track in a sling and just start training with able-bodied oh, people, knowing yeah. nothing about the sport. Hello, everybody. My name is Kyle Dubay, and I'm the host of the Relentless Podcast. I'm so glad that you're listening. I'm so glad that you're going to join us. Being relentless is not easy, but being relentless can work. That was the aha moment. Then the work started. Yeah. Specifically, what I cared about was the organizations that were having an impact in the lives of youth. Everybody's welcome down yeah. here. And that's what we want at the ballpark. Inclusive. It is inclusive. For your first podcast, you really went all out. It, we're not playing here. Like, we're, this is what we do. This looks like a, like a low-rent UFC show, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you You're know like me a the bit. Dana White of you can. Uh, with the bald head, You're, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And Dana I'm, Beige. Yeah. I love talking to these folks. I love learning about them, hearing their stories, and I hope that it's going to be the same for you. So having this para group, and it's a super diverse group. There's uh, quite a few athletes with intellectual impairments who train purely for recreational reasons. They yeah. come out once a week to jog around a track and talk to their friends. Yeah. And then there was me who took it more seriously. But yeah, it was a great coach. Her name was Megan. And I stayed with her for quite a few years. Yeah. And yeah, she was okay, awesome. Okay, so you, you've decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try track and field. And you have a left arm that is in a sling. Correct. A year later, you say, mom, dad, medical team. We're done. Uh, we're done. Yes. And tell us about that journey then. Yeah. So it took a lot of convincing. And I remember I had to go to counseling and to talk to a psychologist. And I remember telling myself that I couldn't cry at these appointments or else they would think that I was too emotionally immature to be making mm. this decision. And it's just such a weird complex because my medical team didn't realize what it was like carrying around a dead arm and living life in a sling and having surgeries and constant doctors and physio appointments. So nobody knew what I was going through besides myself. And I just knew without a doubt that I needed to amputate and they let me finally. So in August okay, of well, what, 2018. Okay, what, does that, what does that look like? And, and these are where my questions are going to come in. Um, well, I'll have a bunch, but you now in your mindset are like, no, I'm done. This arm is done. Yes. I want it. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say things insensitive, but I'm just going to say it the way. No, that but I'm, I was completely detached from it. So you can right. Say, yeah. So you just basically, I want it off. Yeah. Cut it off. Yes. And everyone in your circle, your team, we'll call it the team of men, are yeah. going, no, 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 no. 
we're not doing this because there's many other options. We're going to keep trying this. And you're going, no, this is my body. This is my arm. Yes. And they're going, no, 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 no. You have to go and get counseling before you make like, – like legally, let me ask that question. Legally, are the doctors like, no, we can't do that unless we've tried every single thing? No, that was – they never said it that – You get what uh, I'm saying, Yes, right? I do. Um, for them, it was more so that they just thought I was giving up and right. that amputating was a last resort. Like that's what they said amputating is the last resort, Amanda. That's the last option. We have other cards on the table that we can play. And they even brought up things such as, well, you're a young, beautiful girl. And I go, okay, well, that's not going to change if I amputate. But you know, right. when they word things like that, right. they make it sound like it will, that oh, I'm not going to oh, be a beautiful man. girl if I amputate. How or, did you take that at the time? <laughs> that That to me is like, that's just... Yeah. That's not good. No, it's not. And I, I, when I reflect on those three years of all those doctor's appointments, I, I did have a good medical team. Like, do not get me wrong. Sure. It was awesome. Glenn but Rose is unbelievable. Glenn Rose is unbelievable. My surgeons were awesome. They treated me so well, but I'm like, they would have just kept doing surgeries. Like, that's crazy to right. me that they, that I had to like get down on my hands and knees and beg and advocate for myself as a young female because I wasn't being taken seriously or because they just, they, maybe they did truly believe that my arm was going to come back and they did have my best interests at heart, but they just didn't understand that at this point, it's three years after the accident. I can do everything with one arm. There isn't anything I can't do besides put my hair in a ponytail. That is the one thing day to day I can't do. So I didn't need my arm back. Like I had adapted to this new life. I, you essentially, you accident. essentially were living as an amputee already. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Like I had already done the hard work up until this point. Like I, I was adapted. I had accepted my fate. I, I was ready to just move on. So, they finally give in. Yes. Essentially. Yes. And what is what what's that procedure? What is that? Yeah. So they. Because again, these are, these are the questions that I have. Like, yes. How do they do this? Yeah. So I had wanted to amputate as high up as possible because I don't have shoulder control. So I knew that if they amputated low, if they left quite a bit of the limb still on, the arm was going to get in the way still because of, I don't of have running. of running, and just biking, kind of if I rolled on it funny when I was sleeping, sure. stuff like that. And my surgeon said the only way he was going to amputate was if we amputated at the elbow because if you amputate at the elbow, it's a lot easier to attach your prosthetic to the elbow because you have more limb and bone to attach the prosthetic okay, but, to. But, 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 but sorry, I'm going to ask this question. What's the point in attaching a prosthetic to something that doesn't work? Yes. So... The, and that's that, exactly that fair... the prosthetic wouldn't work. So oh. I don't have nerves. Right. And nerves are what power a prosthetic. Because you wouldn't have been able to move your arm from elbow up anyways. Correct. So what's the point in putting a it, it solely would have been aesthetic reasons. And uh, to make I you, still oh, remember. Oh, to make you beautiful again? Yes. Yeah. I, I remember clear as day him saying in uh, one of our appointments, he goes, well, when you go to a banquet, you're going to need a prosthetic. Oh, my and gosh. He, he said banquet. <laughs> probably six times in about three minutes. And I'm, I can't look at my dad because my dad's like the corners of his mouth, mouth are starting to turn up and I go, Oh, I'm going to like lose it. If I look at but him, you, your dad's starting to, to laugh, laugh because this guy just keeps saying the word banquet, banquet and wearing like an arm at a banquet. And I'm like, I don't know if I've ever, at this point I'd never been to a banquet. Well, people go to a lot of banquets. You didn't know that Amanda? Like a lot. Like I, I went to 17 banquets last <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah. I'm sorry that I keep, that I went back to this beautiful thing. That's shocking to me. Yeah. That that was said to you. And now this guy's going, well, no, you want it on For there. banquets. So you look good at a banquet. Yeah. It's mind-boggling to me. It's so insensitive. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It I'm is. not trying to slam these people. No. But like, it's just so insensitive. Yeah. And makes zero sense. Yeah. Anyways, okay. Now, so, so then, they want to go elbow down. You're which, going, nope, go as high as possible. Yes. But... I needed it amputated, and that was the only way to amputate. Um, there was also other reasons, too. He said um, 
it's a less invasive surgery because all they do is separate the joint, the elbow joint. They they don't actually cut through bone. So mm, okay, I did it. I amputated the elbow and I woke up from the surgery and I was I was very happy. It was it was good. It wasn't perfect, but it was good. It was much better than what I had. Okay, we're gonna stop right here because again, these are my questions. Yeah, and I'm, uh, we are gonna get into your athleticism. I promise. <laughs> you. What is that like? Now, I know that your arm had already essentially been non-functional for, what, three years at that Correct. point? Correct, yes. But you still had it. This is, this, is, this is a piece of you that is your whole 20, 21 years of life. You then wake up and it's gone. What yes. is that like for you emotionally, mentally? You know, what, what, is that feel, what is that feeling like? Yeah, so if anybody listening has ever watched uh, Soul Surfer, Bethany Hamilton, she loses her arm to a shark attack. And in the movie, it's this huge moment when she wakes up um, after her accident and she feels where her arm isn't there anymore. And it's very emotional for her. And I did that too. And I woke up, I put my hand around the end of my nub and I just, all I felt was relief and this freeing sensation. And I, I got up and I went to the mirror and I took a video dancing in my gown and it all bandaged up. Like I never for one second thought it looks ugly, regretted it, thought, what if, what if those surgeries worked? I immediately, as soon as I looked at it, loved the way it looked. It's amazing. Yes. I'm sitting and here. Because if, also. If, if you're not watching this, I'm sitting here with this, this look of, of, it's like this smile on my face because it's, it's such a beautiful story that you're describing. Yes. Which is honestly not what I was going to expect to hear. So I love that that's the way you, you did it. Yeah. And my arm before, par- being that it was paralyzed for three years, it had such bad muscle atrophy. My fingers had curled in because they weren't being used. It was covered in scars. Like to me, that was ugly. Right. My nub, my nub was beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. So you, you, you cut there. How long is the healing process on that? Oh, I was running within like five days. Oh, gosh. It was great. Spin bike. Well, maybe spin bike within a few days and then running within uh, Amanda, a couple weeks. Amanda, listen, <laughs> uh, you, you can tell looking at me. I don't run, okay? You can tell, I think, looking at me. And, and uh, I've actually got these health issues too. But back in the day, I actually ran a 10-mile road race once. But I will tell you this. If I would have stubbed my toe, <laughs> it wouldn't have been five days after that I would have started running. So this is just, you're incredible. Now, you're running. Your arm is cut off at the, is amputated at the, at the elbow. elbow. Correct. How's that going for you? It's good. I am still needing to train and compete for track and field with a sling. So my coach had made up a contraption that went around my sports bra and through my nub, through the bottom of my nub, because I didn't have shoulder control. So if I wouldn't have, it would have just Just went back and forth, back and forth. So... I I needed something to hold. To basically c- compress it into your body. Yes. Right. So that I didn't think about it when I was running. I could right. just focus on my limbs that worked and sure. making those. Although wouldn't that, you know, and I, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but like with it kind of flopping all over the place, would that not end up doing damage to other parts of your, your shoulder and your neck and that type of stuff after a while? Probably, yeah. Because I'm assuming that the, that running motion, it's almost, I don't, violence is the wrong word, but I mean, if it's going all over the place, that's got to do something yeah. to other parts of your body. So it would make sense to keep it close. Right? Totally. And also subluxion, it's called. Um, I believe that's the right medical term. And your arm drops out of the shoulder socket. Right. So I'd also want to keep it tucked in. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you need to know you can use any medical term on here. I'm going to believe you. Yeah. Because I don't have a clue <laughs> yeah. what they are. So you're training, you're running, you're in university, you're doing all these things. Then what? So then, yeah, I lived with my amputated arm at the elbow for about two years and yeah like I said it was good but it just wasn't perfect and I knew I needed to amputate more but then COVID hits and they stop doing elective surgery so an elective surgery is exactly what I wanted I literally just wanted to amputate yeah because I 
wanted something different. It wasn't a life or death situation at all. But you wanted to amputate because it was, you felt as though it was impeding your ability with, with the track. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I was still just getting in the way. Um, I remember I fell off my bike one summer and I cracked, I fractured the bottom of the nub because it was still like from your shoulder to your elbow still, you know, a good significant length. Right. Um, I'm sorry. I am looking right now yes. at mine, right? Like, like that's still yeah, that that is it's over a foot, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And when I think of you running, if this isn't like this is moving a lot, yes, right? Yeah. So then, yeah, I just decided to get back in contact with uh, my surgeon. I my doctor sent a new referral, and I remember meeting with him, and he said, yes you are right, we should have amputated higher and going forward. And let's be honest about it. They're probably so tired of you at this point. They're like, okay, seriously, (laughs) what do you want cut off? We'll cut anything off. Like just, yeah. yeah, True. Yeah. yeah. Um, And he's like, yes, okay, we'll do it. And he just asked me, kind of probably like you said, they're probably tired of me. They're like, what do you want? I was like, I want eight inches off. (laughs) And he took the lid of his pen. This is morning of the surgery the morning of his Bic pen and he just rolled it up my arm and then drew with a pen where to amputate. And you're like, yep. I'll yeah. I'm like, there. great. And so that's th- for- seriously, that's, that's yeah, what happened. Yeah. Is that he, and you're like, no, a little higher. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cause I wanted to still wear a backpack. There's these little okay. things that you think of that. Yeah. Backpack was a big one. Traveling in an airport, uh carry on backpack sure. is like, really useful for me because then I have a free hand to pull up my passport sure. and my boarding pass. Whereas, but see, those are things that I wouldn't think of. Yeah. Right? So that makes absolute sense. Yes. And this is, so yeah, we amputated a second time. How long is, last that, pr- surgery. How long is that procedure? Oh, it's a quick chop. I swear it's like <laughs> 18 minutes in and out. He probably does like a dozen in a day. Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm sorry. But... He is, he's great. He's Dr. Sudomar. He is... Great, great at amputating. Yeah. I know. I refer all my brachial plexus people to him. You said said it was a quick chop. Quick chop. Quick Quick lab chop. chop. Yep. So like, boom, like half hour? Uh, Yep. Yep. Went home that day. Yeah. It's like a uh, day surgery? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So again, this is just so interesting to me. So they, they amputate. You said quick chop they amputate yes then what they have to sew it all up like what do they do they have to yeah, take he, other he did a skin great job. and put he it just, on like yeah wh- he just did do? a stitch across the bottom um which healed really well um i also was able to donate both parts of my arm through both of the different surgeries to research oh, because the one part that was unsettling to me was that i would be going around my daily life and i would have this like arm decomposing and some biohazard mm. bin. So right before my surgeries, each time I was able to donate it or sign off on the paperwork for them to do research. So that part But isn't that interesting, good. like t- how the mind works? Yeah. So for you, you were like, oh my gosh, is my arm just going to be rotting in a dump somewhere? Like that's what I was thinking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you were able to donate it. That's, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. That's very, very cool. And probably yes. a nice, you know, helped you out even psychologically a yes. bit, right? Yeah. So. And also I think... I mean, my my surgeries clearly didn't work, so research would benefit them. Sure. Like there's other things I hope that they're trying now. Um, sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, unreal second amputation. Let's get into the athletics of it all. Yes. You are part of the University of Alberta track and field team. Correct. The only para athlete on there, though. Correct. Like you yes. Are, you are not on a. No. Parrot athletic team. No. You were on the track and field team. Yes. So you are competing against able-bodied. Able-bodied people. Yes. Now, on the national level, you were on Team Canada for the para-Olympic. No, para-athlete. Para-athletics, yes. Athletics. Yes. Going, you're going to be going to the Olympic trials and you want to get it to to become an Paralympian, yes. Paralympian. So what does this look like when you're competing against able-bodied people? Yeah. So when I first got involved with track and field, right from the get-go, I was always versing able-bodied athletes because I'm the only athlete in Edmonton. I'm actually the only athlete in Canada that 
runs the 400 meter with one arm. So there's no competition for me. So I have to compete against able-bodied girls. So I'd say that I'm the queen of getting last place. Cause when I started out, I got last place every single race. If not, maybe I'd get second last place. But what was interesting was every single race, I was also running a new personal best, which is huge. So I didn't care what place I got. I couldn't care less. Right. All my friends and family in the stands, nobody is judging me for getting last place. They're just proud of my time and I'm over the moon with my time. And what also has always worked in my favor is with the sport of track and field, it's kind of, it's kind of in a better position to actually be at the back because you have people pushing you. You have people to chase keeping the gap, I call it. So sometimes my self-talk is maintain the gap, maintain the gap. And yeah, I just use these able-bodied athletes who are kicking my butt to just fuel me. And over the years, I have just continually gotten faster. And I went from running my first 400 meters was 69.88 seconds. And I've knocked off 10 seconds, which in the world of track and field is huge. And my current personal best that I ran last July is 59.13 seconds. So now when I compete in Calgary or Edmonton or even at nationals, I'm right there in the middle of the pack. Right. And that's with able-bodied. All able-bodied. So when 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 you were first, and again, I'm assuming most of these able-bodied athletes have been doing track most of, if not all of their lives. Yes. Yes. Where you just started this when you were what, 19? Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Which again, that to me is incredible, able-bodied or not able-bodied. Like that is an incredible story. So you're competing against all them. You're getting your personal best. Actually, if you listen to the Randy Gregg episode, um, who was on our podcast, he tells an incredible story of, of a lesson he learned um about the olympics and personal best which yes. is cool so it, it's it's it makes sense how that just motivates and motivates and motivates now when did you get into the pair the the paralympic or sorry the pair athletics with team canada like how did that all come about yeah i got selected to be a team canada athlete quite early on in my career i'd actually only been doing track and field for a year and i started getting carding money, which is your monthly payment from Sports Canada to focus on track and field. I started getting amazing sponsorship and uh, funding opportunities within the year because the 400 meter, it's hard, but I, I pushed it. I worked hard. I grinded. I have never missed a day of training. I because I was, like you said, I joined when I was 19. I was kind of late to this game. Sure. I had to play catch up. Yeah. And that's just what I did, though. Like every single year I've done track and field, I'm just continually getting faster. I have I have no doubt in my mind that I'm anywhere near reaching my peak. I have so much more left in my tank. Right now in the 400 meter, we're just working on kind of evening out how I run it. Because I just go so hard at the start. Um, that I die out a bit at the end. So there's still more like strategy, yeah, strategy more endurance I can yeah. build on. So yeah, and it was a year after, it was actually a year to the date after my first amputation that I represented Canada for the first time at an international meet at the Pan American Games where I ran back-to-back personal bests in the 400 meter. And... I remember not even being able to process all that was going on at Pan Am Games with it being exactly one year since amputating. It was definitely surreal to be there and to also now be the Canadian record holder. So I was also now the Canadian record holder in the 100, 200, and 400 meter. And then the time I ran in Peru at the Pan American Games uh, qualified me for the world championships in 2019 in Dubai, where I also ran the 400 meter, not as well, but still a good enough race. And then COVID happened. We lost a lot of our competitions. And unfortunately I didn't qualify for the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics because we just brought a really, really small team. I was ranked fifth in the world, but it just wasn't good enough for team Canada. We only brought five females to Tokyo. Why is that? um, You get your spots for the Paralympics based off of how you do at world championships. And 
females as a whole did quite poorly in 2019. So then going into 2020, we just had no spots. So is that a funding thing? No, not at all a funding no? thing. Okay. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So men had more spots than us, but it was just because they had earned more spots okay. the previous at, year at, the at world championships. At the world. Yeah. So it, it truly is an incredible story. What, what is your favorite thing about being an athlete? My favorite thing about being an athlete would probably be that it makes me the happiest and healthiest version of myself. I just think that I would be in a much different position in life if I had never been in that ATV accident. And I I don't know how my life would have turned out if I wasn't in that accident in 2015, but I, I know without a doubt in my mind, I would have never found the sport of track and field. I would not be a runner. And I am just forever grateful for this sport because it has saved me in more ways than I can count, no matter what was going on with my arm, whether it was my amputation surgery not going exactly as planned and having to do it again, or COVID lockdowns taking place, or not making the team for Tokyo, whatever bad news I was um, dealing with, I always had track. I always had a workout to go do. I always had this space, this outlet that was the track for me. And I could just go and run and yeah, it's an outlet for me. It's where I feel the best and I feel at home. You, you just don't give up. No. You are relentless. Yeah. Do you, and I hope you don't mind me asking this question. Um, do you miss your arm? No. 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 I am so happy that this is how my life has turned out. I would be, I'd be normal. I'd be boring if I had two arms. I'd be like, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know where I'd be, but I, I always think about how much different my life would be. Like, would I be with my same boyfriend who loves me for who I am? Maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't have found him. Um, I wouldn't have seen the world the way I have yeah, with you, all these you, travel you've opportunities. You've been all over the place. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, the opportunities that I've just found from track. Like, I'm just forever grateful. Your attitude towards this is truly inspiring and it's incredible to me. And I'm hopeful that you have, that you talk to a lot of young people. Uh, if not, you better get out there on the circuit and be doing that. You are working right now um, on a education degree. Correct. Yes. Um, I do like how you said it though, that you are not a student athlete. You are an athlete student. Correct. Yes. Which I think is cool. <laughs> that being said, there's going to come a time where you won't be doing track and field kind of full-time. And, and I'm assuming that means that you will potentially go into education. Yeah. You're just going to be such an incredible teacher. Oh, thank and, you. And I don't care if you teach math, social studies, Physical science, education. Physical education. I'll That's be honest major. with you. I don't care what your subject is. What you're going to teach people along the way and what, you, what you're teaching me is it doesn't matter what happens to you, in particular physically, you can go out and, and, and do what you're doing. You can go out and do amazing things, even if what the world would deem as a setback happens to you. Yeah. I want, I want everyone to know that my life motto would just be no excuses. Right. Yeah. Because when you make excuses for yourself, you're just holding yourself back. Does, and... that, does that come from pops? Does that come from your dad a bit? Who, yeah, it definitely does. Who, what I heard you saying without you saying it was your dad basically was saying to you, uh, don't feel sorry for yourself. Totally. Absolutely. I think I, he, yeah, he always just gave me that right amount of tough love. Right. Right. Cause the conversations that we've had, including this one today, which I've thoroughly enjoyed, I feel like I've learned so much about you, but just so much about life. You do not feel sorry for yourself. No. You know that the, we, we, uh, I always talk to our guests pre coming on the podcast and, and I said something along the lines to you around, um, like this must have been so traumatic, and so and you said actually no, it wasn't. Like, yeah, you, you just had this positive attitude about it, which is quite incredible. Um, and I sometimes maybe that's also inherent your characteristics of who you are as a person. Being optimistic, glass half full, has is just who I am. But it's hmm. definitely helped me. Do you 
do you go out and do like a lot of public speaking? I mean, this is how I, do, I how through I, actually RBC through RBC, yes, right? Yeah, through the because RBC this is how we program. how we met. Yes. Right. So, what, who are you talking to? Are you talking to schools? Are you talking to businesses? What are you? A what lot are you doing? of business professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I do speak to schools. Personally, my favorite is when I can just truly connect with a small group of people or just one on one. Sure. Um, being paired up. I'm a mentor at the Glen Rose Rehabilitation Hospital and being paired up with a little boy who lost his arm to cancer was super rewarding for me, um, giving him my one-armed cutting board that I don't need anymore mm. and helping him adapt his bike and all these things. And I'm also a mentor for adults who are deciding to amputate. And I, I'm i obviously very passionate about how much amputating positively influenced my life and just helped me in so many ways that I there's people out there who have their brachial plexus they've had it for 15 years they've had it for over 10 years their accident was decades ago and they're just now thinking about amputating and I'm there to say do it yeah 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 how many uh I don't know if you know stats like this how many people live with amputations in in Edmonton or in Alberta or Canada like do you know those stats I I don't know those stats but what I do know is that probably more than we think. Yes, I never see people. I never see arm amputees. Mm. When I get when I do see them, I get really excited and yeah. I, I go up and introduce myself. Um, but that's why I want to connect with little kids because growing up as a kid, you want to know that there's other people out there like you. Absolutely. So, yeah, I definitely I want to get my name out there so that people know that. Yeah, I would just love to mentor. But don't you kids. think connecting with kids too? Because I'm assuming you were like this as a little kid. Because I think every little kid is like this. I know I was. If you're to see somebody who was an amputee, and typically with legs, I would say you don't notice as much because if there's pants on and they and they have a prosthetic leg, but somebody without an arm, it is first so thing. Yep. first thing. But I remember as a kid being like, "Oh my gosh!" Like it's almost like you're a little bit scared. Like, and I think that if you can be talking to, to young ones, well, ch- kids in general, it's amazing for them to yes. just go. It's, it's a humanizing thing. Yes. Right? It's a humanizing thing. Yes. You are uh, an incredible athlete, obviously. But more than that, you really just are an incredible person. And, and I've just enjoyed this. I, I've, I've, I've learned so much about you, like I said, but also just about life and about positivity and about not feeling sorry for oneself and, and really making the best out of what, we have or what we don't have yes and it truly is incredible amanda oh thank you Kyle. yeah so listen we try to end a lot of our podcasts with what i call the relentless um scientific questionnaire and technically this is going to determine if you are relentless or not we've had a lot of people uh put this together we haven't i'm lying (laughs) but this is what we're going to do are you ready for this yes i'm ready um Okay, they're just very simple questions. And I'm I'm old, so I put my glasses on. Uh, um, Here it goes. Fruits or vegetables? Fruits. That's how you satisfy your sweet craving, your sweet tooth craving. Little life hack. Okay. Yes. Nice. City or countryside? Ooh. Let's go city. Okay. Okay. Let's. (laughs) Dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, See, scientific. Dirty, dirty bathroom. You'd rather be. Dirty I'd bathroom. rather have a dirty bathroom, clean kitchen. Okay. Yes. Okay. Salty or sweet? Oh, sweet. Sweet. But fruit. <laughs> morning or night? Morning, morning. Because you get up and train. Oh yes, yes. I'm such a morning person. Good for you. Like, what time do you get up at? I get up every day at six a.m. I do oh. train in the evenings, but you know, I do yoga in the morning or yeah. just your morning. So routine. every day, six a.m. Correct. Yes, it, without an alarm. Uh, yeah, I cry. I'm I'm out at 9 p.m. though. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Favorite comedy movie of all time. Oh, favorite comedy. Uh, happy Happy Gilmore's a good happy one. Gilmore. Happy Gilmore's a good one. Adam Sandler has recently yeah. received the Mark Twain award, yes. which is I've watched some of that. Is very good. Uh, big party or small gathering? Oh, small gathering. Uh, Games night. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? No phone in the bathroom. Okay. Favorite love song of all time? Favorite love song. My favorite, maybe it's called These Days by Macklemore. 
Yes. I okay. probably listen to it once a day. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It really is your favorite. Yeah, it really is. Okay. I like it. Only two more questions. Cake or pie? Cake. Not a pie gal. Last one is describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. Four words. Okay. Captivating. Fun. Knowledgeable. And... Interesting. Nice. Those are great words. You are a great person. This has been awesome, Amanda. I really have enjoyed it. And I hope that anyone listening is going to be inspired. I don't know how they wouldn't be. And I'm just so thankful that you came on, taught us how to have a great attitude, taught us how to not feel sorry for ourselves, how to take the best of what we have or don't have, and how to be relentless. I appreciate you being on the uh, Relentless Podcast, Amanda. Where can we find you on social media or do you have anything that yes. we can promote? Well, first off, thank you so, so much for having me, Kyle. Um, this was a great conversation. And to find me, I'm mostly just on Instagram and it's just my full name, Amanda Rummery, R-U-M-M-E-R-Y. Awesome. We will see you there and we are looking forward to seeing where you're going to go with your Paralympic, or, yeah, with your Paralympic dreams. Yes. And just with all the success you're going to find. Thank you, thank Amanda. You, Kyle.